A reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my, def- my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Recently, I was sent a poem by a friend. It was written by one of my favorite poets, W.S. Bill Merwin. It goes like this. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say, thank you. We are standing by the water, thanking it, smiling by the windows, looking out in our directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging, after funerals, we are saying, thank you. After the news of the dead, Whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. 
in doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you. In the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you and waving, dark though it is. The grateful who continually thank the world and life and sometimes God are the generous and the generous are the grateful. But gratitude and generosity do not come naturally to all of us. Decades ago, for instance, a divorce lawyer showed me a letter he had written to a former husband unknown to me. It asked for a generous settlement to help the former wife. This request had been rejected, and now I was reading a second letter to the former husband. It, none too subtly, congratulated him for being thrifty. It was easy for me to associate the individual with the rich but parsimonious caterer whose dying words, believe it or not, were, slice the ham thin. (laughs) A John Cleese skit humorously shows the thrifty personality. Cleese goes back and forth with someone raising money for orphans. He keeps failing to identify what is in it for him to donate. And finally, in near desperation, he asks if giving to the orphans will provide him with a tax advantage. When told that in England there is no such advantage, he says, I don't mean to be obtuse, but it seems to me that if I give a pound to the orphans, I'm still out a pound. Yes, he is told, as the audience laughs, that's how it works. The Apostle Paul knew that who we are and what we have become is most clearly focused at the end of our lives. And I would like to discuss briefly one verse of today's epistle to Timothy. This is the second letter that survives, presumably written by the apostle to his helper. The letter tries to strengthen Timothy 
because Timothy has become overwhelmed and intimidated by those who do not get what he is trying to say about a Christian life. Paul speaks of himself as he sums up his life, facing death by imprisonment and execution. He says, I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He aligns his life with the divine power of giving and giving again, which holds us all to life's end and beyond. Some of you are aware of the work some of us do in Central Africa. There was a self-help group of HIV-positive people that we supported with ill women and men and lots of kids who were sooner or later to become orphans. The women in the group worked with their children, creating with them memory books so that when the parents were gone, the books would be a record of who they had been, what the family traditions were, and the hope was that the book, books would give to each child the message that each had been loved. One day the group learned that some of them could have access at last to antiretroviral medications. That's when a remarkable thing happened. The men, the privileged people, drew apart to caucus. They reported to the women, we want you to have the medications because the children need their mothers. And one by one, the men died. You might say died of generosity. But what a way to go. In the words of Paul, they had fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith to the final inch. The love they had, they freely gave until they were no more. This season, St. John's Church asks our thoughtful consideration of a different act of generosity, a meaningful pledge for the coming year in support of the church. The church, the only custodian of values we need to live by and of the faith and hope underneath these that nourish us for greater humanity. We have the chance now to become a little more generous than we might have thought we were. This pledge campaign, anyway, is a chance to write a new chapter in our own memory book to express a new emphasis in our personal and family tradition. Perhaps we will appropriate this opportunity. 
Finally, I must circle back to John Cleese, who wanted to know, after all, what's in it for me to be a giver. There is an answer. Listen to the words of one of the church's great hymns for a clue. This is sometimes sung at the end of someone's life. The words honor all who fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl streams in the countless host, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Alleluia, alleluia.